Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning, JFAM. Uh, my name is Greg Nelson. I'm one of the elders here in the city location, and uh, it's my pleasure to bring you this morning the real close of our sermon series and the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, I know, last week John Lamferman told us that he was concluding the series. Uh, if that was the end, just think of this as the epilogue. Uh, For the past three months, we have taken a good, hard look at this, the seminal work of Jesus's teaching. Uh, We have considered all the things that he's spoken about, all the controversial topics. We've looked at um, being poor in spirit. We've talked about being persecuted. We've considered loving our enemies and forgiving those who have wronged us. We've considered lust in our hearts. We've considered anger, which is equated with murder. We've considered uh, caring for the poor. We have looked at every topic, and today we're going to conclude with his final warning. Jesus presents to us in this text two ways to live, represented by two houses. One of these construction projects is built on the rock, uh, built by a wise man who heeds Jesus's words. The other construction project, that foreman has cut corners and chosen to build on a shoddy foundation. Jesus does not keep us in suspense as to how this ends, and it does not go well. I want to draw our attention from this text to three things that I really believe will help us if we choose to pay attention. First, the storm. Second, the builders. And finally, the foundations. The first thing that I noticed about Jesus' words is that in this parable, the storm is a constant. There is no if only a win. I don't know if you remember the first, the scene from uh, the first Matrix movie. Uh, This uh, moment, at this moment, Agent Smith has Neo in a headlock in the subway on the tracks and a train is barreling down on them. And Agent Smith utters these iconic words. He says, hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. That is the sound of your death. And just in that moment, Neo with his newly awakened powers bends the rules of physics, bends the rules of the matrix, bends the rules of reality and backflips out of this situation. Agent Smith is crushed and Neo escapes. Unfortunately, friends, we are not Neo and we are not living in the matrix. We cannot bend the rules of physics and of reality and we cannot avoid the storms that are coming in our lives. But isn't this our experience? I mean, maybe it's totally unnecessary for me to even mention the reality of storms and trials and struggles in life. After 2020 and now the beginning of 2021, we've seen uh, uh, riots at the Capitol. We have seen a huge increase in the number of mass shootings in our society. Uh, We have seen uh, COVID variants emerging and the list goes on and on. There is plenty of wind and rain to go around in this life. And that's just on the national scene. We still have to contend daily with personal challenges, whether that be broken relationships, failing health, uh, wayward children, aging loved ones, professional failures, or financial hardships. 
A wise sage once said that you're either climbing the mountain, coming down from the mountaintop, or you're in the valley. And how true that seems. Some of us feel like we're climbing five or six mountains all at once. In another place, Jesus himself assured us, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't stop there because he then said, take heart, I have overcome the world. But what is this overcoming? Sadly, it's not avoiding every difficulty or trial or challenge. No, the scriptures do not promise us, uh, even as some might claim that if we are in Jesus, that we will be impervious to harm or repellent to trouble. No, faith in Jesus is not an uh, impervious superpower or a bulletproof vest. Just look at the biblical heroes of the faith. Abraham was called to leave his family's home. Moses wandered in the desert with the wayward people. David ran for his life from King Saul. Stephen was martyred. Paul was shipwrecked and Jesus was crucified. No, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. So why do some people become embittered and ruined by the trials of their lives, but others endure? Others become stronger because of what they have suffered. I think this is part of what Jesus is getting at with these houses. Sadly, I have seen friends who, uh, because of doubts or frustrations or temptations in life, they have abandoned everything they've known. They've abandoned their churches. They've abandoned their spouses, even their children. Running after a career or a professional opportunity, maybe an ego-inflating relationship or uh, getting involved in some social issue. On the other hand, I've seen men and women endure the loss of a loved one, even cancer ravaging their bodies, and they have clung to Jesus, and they have become a true embodiment of his grace through and because of their trials. So, so what is the difference between those who falter and those who excel? It's not the intensity of the storm, my friends. It's how we prepare for it. So second, the builders. We have a choice about how we prepare for these storms of life. Notice that these two houses, they're in Jesus's parable, they are built before the storm comes. No one is building in the rain. Jesus contrasts these two types of builders. Now he describes the one as wise um, and the other as foolish. The difference between the two builders does not lie in their skills. This is not a story about the uh, master builder and the apprentice. Neither does their success rely on their building materials. This is not the story of the three little pigs. No, the decisive moment in the building project that we call life comes before the first wall is ever erected. Even more critical than what you know when you're building is where you go when you're building. That is which foundation you choose to build upon, not what you know, but where you go. You can go to the rock or you can go to the sand. Remember Jesus' warning from last week. This is what John had uh, told us about. In the preceding verses, Jesus drew our attention to those who professed faith, but ultimately they were rejected because they did not have relationship with Jesus. Despite doing works in Jesus' name, he never knew them. And here, Jesus draws a similar kind of a contrast. Last week, the rejected heard Jesus' words, but they, didn't, but they never knew him. 
This week, the foolish builder hears his words, but he does not do them. The connection between relationship and obedience is brought to light. One of Jesus' closest friends, John the Apostle, he writes this, whoever says, I know him, that is Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him, in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The life built by those who profess Jesus but do not obey Jesus may look eerily similar to those who profess and obey. Outwardly, they use the same language. They will attend the same church meetings. They have the same verses decoratively displayed in their kitchens. They have the same books and the same authors on their shelves. The foolish builder may actually have the more attractive home. With her superior skills, she has added ornate decorative touches all around, and her accomplishments fill her trophy case. But to her dismay, it will mean nothing when the storm comes and the house comes tumbling down. Jesus isn't here comparing the holy church goer to the absent heathen. No, he is talking to those who are listening, and he is comparing those who listen and obey with those who listen and do not obey. Friends, he is talking to us. The difference between these two groups is not always obvious. You may have to open the storm doors and crawl into the basement to see what kind of foundation someone's life is really built upon. You may have to tear down a couple of walls to see, does this house really have good bones? And sometimes the truth does not come out until the storm hits. The evidence is in how the house responds to the storm and whether it stands or falls. I have a dear friend, uh, his name is Matt Coburn. He's a pastor of the church that I attended when I was a medical student. Great guy, tragic story. Matt and Brandy were married uh, late in their 30s. They had two young children when Brandy was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had uh, invasive disease, uh, metastatic. At the time that it was found, she was only 37. As cancer often does, it progressed rapidly and they quickly transitioned from dreaming about their future to preparing for Brandy's last days. Then Pastor Matt was mourning, raising his two daughters alone, a widower. So I asked him, I said, man, how did you face that trial? How did you go through that terrible experience, losing your wife, caring for your daughters, without feeling abandoned by God, without being angry and turning on him. This is how Matt responded. And, I, and I'll read this because this these are his words. He says this, he says, the way that Brandy and I both responded was rooted in a long pattern of discipleship that included regular confession of the gospel, being aware of our sin, our weaknesses, our failings and limitations was something that both of us worked through quite a bit before she got sick. Both of us were single into our 30s and both of us had lost beloved family members uh, before we were even married. We had to work through our own sinfulness, the challenges of singleness and even the disillusion of ministry teams that we each had led. In these pre-cancer trials, the choice before us, before us was regularly this, to allow failure, disappointment, hurt, and hardship 
to drive us to question God and to distance ourselves from him or to lean in to him, to affirm the goodness of God in the gospel and to seek him and his purposes in those trials. It was the daily and seasonal affirmation of the centrality of the gospel and the goodness of God that then prepared us for the day when we learned of Brandy's diagnosis and when we walked through it. It still hurt. It hit like a ton of bricks. The more we learned about the severity of it, the harder it was. And we both felt at times disoriented and discouraged. And we certainly had to ask God why, but it was not a bitter why, but an honest, in the pain why. We were sinking him in the midst of it, even when that question was never seemingly answered for us. We had both been through processes of trial that built both our trust in God and our humility before him. That was helpful. This struck, out, uh, struck me, this stuck out to me about Matt's response. He says, it was the daily and seasonal affirmation of the centrality of the gospel and the goodness of God that then prepared us for the day when we learned of Brandy's diagnosis. Matt attests that making the gospel, the words of Jesus, the foundation of his life before the storm comes helped to prepare him for gale force winds, sweeping floods and the torrential rain of becoming a single father. Third, the foundations. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Notice Jesus is not simply concerned about whether we are listening. The proper foundation to build one's life upon is not listening, not learning, not knowledge, but obedience. The Bible is full of tragic accounts of people who heard God's words but failed to obey them. One particular example sprung to my mind. It's the example of King Saul. The history of the ancient Jewish people is recorded in many books, but the book of 1 Samuel tells us about King Saul's reign. King Saul was an accomplished military leader. God instructed him to fight against uh, the, the enemies of the nation. Uh, this particular group was the Amalekites. And this is what uh, it said. God told them to go and to take no prisoners and to even destroy the spoils of war. But 1 Samuel 15, 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag, that is the king of the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. Then God sent his messenger, the prophet Samuel, and Samuel uh, um, confronts Saul knowing from God supernaturally that Saul has not done what he was asked. And Saul has the audacity to greet Samuel and say, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But then Saul, Samuel says, Saul, what is this sound? The sound of the bleeding of the sheep that I hear. <laughs> Saul's response is, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, our God. Um, but we totally destroyed the rest. Samuel's response is this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings 
and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And just like that, Saul lost his position as king over some sheep, no less. So you see, it is possible to achieve worldly victory, strike fear into the heart of your enemies and to be beloved by your followers and still fail in the eyes of God because of disobedience. You can build a life literally fit for a king, but without obedience, it is built on sinking sand. Now, I don't want to send anyone away thinking that Jesus' main message is obey or else. He is not threatening storms in our lives if, as a punishment for our disobedience. He is rather pointing out that there are natural consequences to the way that we live and that obedience produces certain fruit and disobedience other kinds of fruit. If you build your house on sand, it will sink, it will fall. And if you don't build your house on obedience, to Jesus' words, you will suffer when the storms come because the storms come to us all. Thank God that his grace comes to us through faith. Yet true faith produces obedience. We receive God's forgiveness by trusting in Jesus' accomplishments. And then that trust results in unconditional salvation. Yet if we are sincere and informed, in our faith, in our believing, it will also produce a changed life, a life that shows with its actions that we are both listening to Jesus and that we understand what is at stake. We no longer live our old life of self-regard. We now live a new life of God-regard. That is a life of obedience. And Jesus himself said it plainly. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It is the words of faith, confession, producing the works of faith, obedience, that provides the greatest evidence of faith, a changed life. I don't know about you, but biblical texts like these scare me. Hearing Jesus say this is meant to be a gut-checking moment. I, for one, do not want to be the person who meets Jesus and says, look what I've done for you, Lord. And he says to me, I never knew you, depart from me. So how do we make sure that we are the wise builders and not foolish, accepted, but not rejected? The first step is to start by listening to Jesus. Jesus compares his own words to a seed. And he says that that seed, when it falls on good soil, produces a fruit, a harvest of righteousness and salvation. Both a faith that leads to salvation and a faith that leads to obedience. So our hearts being the soil, we desperately need the words of Jesus. The soil doesn't produce fruit spontaneously of itself. No, the fruit comes from the words. And then that word springs up. So if you have never considered the words of Jesus, if you have never received his salvation, that is the first place to start. But beyond that, we are all listening to something every day. We are all obeying something or someone every day. We're all scrolling through our phones, checking the headlines or checking out social media. We're all watching Netflix or the news 
We're all taking in something. So we have to make sure that we are daily taking in the words of Jesus. Second, we should pray to God that he would help us, help us to properly evaluate our soil, our own hearts. Jesus went on to explain that those seeds could fall on other kinds of soil, hardened soil or scorched soil or thorny soil, and that these things, these distractions, these competing voices could prevent his words from taking root and producing fruit. So that suggests that there is work that can be done to prepare the heart, to prepare this soil to receive his words. The king that came after Saul, King David, is widely considered to be the prototypical king or the example of what God wanted a king to be. And in fact, the text tells us that God chose David because David was a man after God's own heart, embodying the same values that God himself loved. David prayed to God like this. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the path, in the way everlasting. So it pleases God that we should be introspective, that we should search ourselves frantically looking for anything that could distract us or choke his words or scorch and kill the fruit of obedience in our lives. These things rebellious actions, arrogant attitudes, and competing allegiances, these things will shipwreck the work of God, preventing the seed, the word of God, the words of Jesus from flourishing in our lives. Remember what Pastor Matt said. It was the daily and seasonal affirmation of the centrality of the gospel and the goodness of God reinforcing that regularly that helped to prepare him for the day that he and his wife received this terrible news when the storm came knocking. Third, we must keep the field pure. Intercrop cultivation is a practice where two types of seeds are sown in the same field simultaneously. In a few instances, this could have a value, such as radishes, which grow very shallow, and carrots, which grow deeper. The radishes spring up early and they compete with weeds. Then you can harvest radishes and later you will harvest the carrots and you have double the harvest. But in most instances, this is gonna lead to two types of seed, two types of plant competing for resources, competing for water, competing for nutrients in the soil, competing for sunlight. And then you end up with half, the yield, or maybe even less than what you would have sown if you sown these two together. The analogy here is that in our lives, many people, especially in the post-Google information age, they see Jesus and Christianity as just a simple add-on. Either all religions and philosophies have something to contribute, and so I'll take a bit of this and a bit of that. It's kind of like walking around a buffet. They consider faith like eating a golden corral. Lots of choices, pick what you like. The other perspective is, well, you know, I've got my house basically built. Now I've got some Jesus and I'll use it to patch up the cracks in the foundation. You know, I have a house that's <clears throat> very old. 
90 years old, is built on a uh, rock foundation and it leaks. And it's been patched and leaking and patched and leaking over and over again. And why is that? Well, it's because it's a leaky foundation by nature. What we need is not patches in our foundation. We need a new foundation. That foundation of our lives must be Jesus and Jesus alone, his words alone. Not professional success plus Jesus, not personal achievement plus Jesus, not financial security plus Jesus, not political party plus Jesus, not patriotism plus Jesus, not social justice plus Jesus, not anything plus Jesus, just Jesus. The temptation is real. The temptation to listen to other voices, louder voices. We need to honestly evaluate our lives. In these days of great turmoil and social upheaval, we have to ask ourselves the question, who have we been listening to? Are we listening to our Twitter feeds, our Facebook algorithms, Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow, gun reform activists or Second Amendment purists? All of these voices may have something to contribute to the discourse. But we have to make central and foundational in our lives the words of Jesus, listening to him and obeying him. If those of us who claim Jesus were to put half the energy that we put into other things, into our personal causes, into sharing the gospel and loving our neighbors like Jesus has taught us in this sermon, we would see revival in our city. We would see revival in every city. And so that, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, is our task today. Listen and obey must be our consistent response to Jesus. He must become the deepest, most solid, and truly sturdy thing in our lives. And when we have built on that stone, the stone that the builders rejected but has become the chief cornerstone, then we will have a house that is a true refuge from the storm, that can withstand anything that this life throws at us, a secure refuge in the midst of every challenge. The question is, are you ready to start building? Thank you.